Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Human Factors Cast. This is episode 265, just 100 short of an entire year's worth of Human Factors Cast. We're recording, we're pre recording this episode on November 30th with an air date of December 1st, 2022. Uh, like I said, this is Human Factors Cast, and I am your host, Nick Rome. I am joined today by the one, the only, Mr. Barry Kirby. Hey, good to be here. Hey, great to have you, Barry. And we even got some applause going for you. Uh, got... <laughs> I feel privileged. Oh, man. We got a great show for you all tonight. Uh, we are going to be talking about the whole nightmare UX situation that Twitter has found themselves in. Yes, it's been a popular request over the last few weeks while we've been taking little breaks here and there. Uh, we're going to also answer some questions from the community about advice on becoming a UX researcher, our thoughts on making apps, and what our thoughts on generative AI replacing creative endeavors are, uh, especially when it comes to our jobs, our work. But first, some uh, programming notes, community update. Hey, uh, we got a deep dive coming out to you next week. It's going to be on basically the human factors of fitness devices, um, which are really cool. We had a lab member working really hard on this over the last couple of weeks. It'll be out there for you. Consumption sometime next week. So pay attention for that. It's a, it's a great read. If I do say so myself. Uh, in addition to that, uh, as we always get towards the end of the year here, there's uh, some intermittent content programming, I should say. So let's just um, let's get that out of the way. We're going to be here the first. I guess this is today. The first, <laughs> the eighth, the 15th, the 22nd. We're taking off the 29th, but we'll still have something for you, which is uh, everyone's favorite. Here's everything that you missed in 2022 uh, in terms of human factors news as talked about by Barry and myself. So uh, really, there's no breaks from your end, just a break from ours, um, since we took a lot in November. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, with that, Barry, what's the latest over at uh, 1202? Feels like a minute since I checked in. It is. So 1202, we've got an interview with the Chief Operating Officer of the Chartered Institute of Ergonomics and Human Factors, or CIHF, and that's Tina Worthy. She is an absolute bastion of the organization she's the person who makes a lot of the stuff run in the background and she really shares a lot of the information about just what it takes to keep such a large organization running i mean so many people have heard of the cihf people we have registered members all around the world and yet there is such a small number of staff keeping this machinery going and it's amazing just to hear the amount of things that she gets up to the amount of things that um that her team get up to and just her enthusiasm for what she does so Go and have a listen to that. That's going to be the last properly recorded interview of 2022. Um, the next episode will be a, um, a review of 2022. Um, and if all goes well, the, the chap who joined me last year, Joe Paulson, will be joining me again to review 2022's content, and he'll give us his opinions on what he thinks the best bits are. So that will hopefully come and land just before Christmas as well. Speaking of EHF, nothing to officially announce, but I think we might be there in some capacity. Anyway, there is a, a strong chance. I know some people who know some people. Um, <laughs> I think the, the opportunity for us to have a stand and work out some sort of remoteness thing like we did for um, for uh, um, HFES uh, will be similar or something like that. Yeah. So it's looking good. 
Nothing to officially announce. But anyway, I, we know why you're here. You're here for the news. So why don't we go ahead and get into it? Yes, that's right. This is the part of the show all about Human Factors News. Barry, the people have been waiting. What is the story this week? This week which is the story which I'm sure everybody's heard about is the Twitter UX nightmare verification emulation. So Twitter launched their new verification system. Anybody who's willing to pay eight bucks a month for Twitter Blue would now receive the long-coveted, well, by some anyway, the blue check mark. The rollout has been, quite frankly, an unmitigated disaster. People began signing up for the service immediately. Yes, but then went on to impersonate celebrities, politicians, and corporations. People like Donald Trump and LeBron James, companies like Nintendo, and Twitter itself. For example, a rogue account, looking really authentic with the handle Ellie Lilly and Co., tweeted a short message which had a huge impact. We are excited to announce insulin is free now. The new verification system isn't really a verification system. In fact, Twitter planned on displaying a second grey badge to signal actual authenticity but Musk himself killed the feature just hours after it launched. He was pointing all of his chips on the blue badge, saying it would be the great leveler. In fact, from a design perspective, he's simply created a usability nightmare. So, Nick, do you think you're going to be able to post the news on next week on Twitter? Or are we all heading to Truth Social or Macedon? Oh, God, we're not going to truth or mastodon for that matter. You know, like here's uh, I have some complicated feelings around this whole thing. Um, Twitter is one of the ways in which we interact with some of our listeners. And um, it's it's one of the platforms I think that we've been on the longest here as a podcast. And, and it's really the only interaction that I do on Twitter. I do follow Twitter for other accounts for news and uh, just to see what's going on in the world. Um, and I have some I have some really complicated thoughts. My my initial reaction that I put in the show notes was burn baby burn disco inferno, a link to the YouTube uh, music video. So um, I I don't know how I feel about this. I will say professionally, this was horribly mismanaged. This is just a complete shit show in every sense of, you know, management gone wrong. This is bad. This is this is an example of how you don't take over a company. <laughs> and will likely be taught in in um, sort of economics textbooks for years to come. But uh, in terms of a UX perspective, I'm and and human factors perspective, I'm sure we have a lot of interesting things to discuss. Barry, before we do that though, I'm interested in what your gut reaction to this news, to this whole fiasco, has been. What is it? In in many ways, I think it's it's kind of this is like an Elon special, isn't it? It's the it's kind of what he does, and we will go into. I mean, I'm I'm sure we'll try and focus on the UX side of things, but we're going to mushroom out into the into the wider thing. It, it, we just, I think we just have to. But fundamentally, I think Twitter has a unique space in that it was one of the original successful short short term short, short form blogging elements uh, where you could go in. It was what the original 140 characters. You had to be concise. You had to be precise to be able to put stuff out there and generate a gathering and all this sort of stuff. Other um, platforms have tried to copy it. Um, and, you know, with not as much success, I would say. Most um, uh, most politicians, most um, pe- pe- people in the new- uh, newspapers, most um, uh, freelancers, but any- most companies are, are on Twitter. And so it is, you know, it is the most successful thing 
out there in this in this field. What they fail to do is to turn it into a uh, a financial revenue stream, you know, a successful financial revenue revenue stream, um, and that's where I think this is all this has all come from. So I think that's they're the bits that we'll get into. I think I do think that this whole idea that it's all going to all going to turn off tomorrow. I don't think that that's going to happen. I think that's a very much overplaying. All these people sort of said, "Oh well, I'm going to put my last thoughts in. almost like a last will and testament of of thing." We're not going there. I very much doubt we we will go there. And and again, we'll probably talk about this in a bit. But is there any competition to it at the moment? Like real competition? Um, that open for discussion. Yeah. Before we before we even get into all the all the stuff. <laughs> Let's talk about all the stuff, okay? I'm going to actually bring in a supplemental article here. This is by CNN. Uh, they actually have, uh, they they released this earlier this week, I guess, um, on uh, November 27th. So this is fairly recent. This is a uh, uh, an ongoing list of everything that's happened since Elon Musk has taken over Twitter. And if you're, I guess, been in the dark, this is what's been going on. And I feel like this is some helpful context to uh, sort of understand everything here. So, First thing he does when he gets in is he clears out the C-suite, then cuts approximately half of Twitter's staff. Uh, So that's the very first thing that happens. He gives an ultimatum then to the remaining employees, um, basically work really hard uh, and and come into the office or leave. And um, basically, a lot of those employees just chose to leave. (laughs) Yeah. So now now Twitter as an entity is completely understaffed. Um, After this, the advertisers in a lot of ways fled and um basically there's like this huge drop in revenue uh and then you get the blue check mark issue um so this was kind of delayed due to the midterms here in the states for misinformation you mentioned in the blurb the Eli Lilly um tweet and and that uh th- they made a company somebody who paid $8 for a little blue check mark with verification, made a company's stock drop like twenty billion dollars in one day uh, because they paid eight dollars for a check mark. So um, th- that is kind of what we're talking about when we talking about this verification issue. Then uh, more recently, here November nineteenth, we're looking at you know reinstating um, banned accounts uh, instead of you know highly uh, talked over debated research with an ethics council he fired them all and just did a unscientific twitter poll says should i bring back donald trump and you know the bots came out and said yes uh and so now he's back but he hasn't posted so there's that's a whole other conversation but basically not just trump but the other dangerous accounts as well uh are are now back that are um and incredibly dangerous for public figures to be saying some really terrible misinformed things on the platform. I'll just leave it there. Then. Um, so yeah, like, like I said, that's, that's kind of where we're at today. That's kind of a look at, at everything that's happened in the first month since he's taken over. So. But I think with, with that, what we've also got to do is look back before that as well, because I think, Articles like like that one, and there's been a whole bunch of them out there, almost try and paint the idea that Twitter was all amazing before Elon took over, and and actually the reality is is quite far from the case. The um, the the whole hate speech problem was was there. 
you know that that's been there for a long time um how do we moderate um hate speech there was they were making inroads into it like i said there was a there was a committee around it um and and you know there was people looking at it but it still happened fake news is still a big problem um on or it was a big problem on twitter it still is bots on twitter um were a big problem and still are um so all that was happening and fundamentally it wasn't and if i understand the the financials of it properly it wasn't delivering any revenue it wasn't profitable um in fact in 2021 it turned over so it had a revenue of 5.08 billion uh, dollars but actually still returned a 20 uh 221 million pound loss um and that and that was as recent as 2021 so you know we sit there and 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 think that elon's breaking all of this it was already kind of broken um in terms of a business model in terms of a financial model um and a lot of the issues that we're talking about around freedom speech freedom of speech and things like that they were already there so then that leads us to the question what is it that elon is trying to do and so this will take us, I think, through to the verification piece. But fundamentally, we know um, he's a risk taker. We saw it with, with SpaceX. We saw it with uh, with Tesla. Um, the I mean, the SpaceX is a really good exa- is a really good example of he knew he could afford X number of launches um, before he had to turn around and say we've we've used all the money. We can't go anymore. Um, we're done. They used up all them launches, and he he believed in what he in in the the company he believed in the drive so much that he was like, let's do one more and all of his own money into it. And he was, if that were launch hadn't, hadn't worked, he would have been completely bust. So that you know, is he's, he's, he's trying to, I believe if he follows the SpaceX model, if he follows the Tesla model, he's trying to do what he believes is the right thing. So whether that is the right thing or not is something else. And, you know, we talk about the Trump and peace, we'll come back into that. And then I guess the final argument is, well, it is his money. He he did throw in, was it $44 million or was it billion? billion. billion. I'm not sure. It was a very large, large amount of, um, large amount of money into it. Um, And 44 billion. Yeah. They could have said no, you know, it was a, it was a takeover. They, but they could have turned around and said, you know what? We don't want, uh, we want you to don't need to do that. Um, well, that's that's even interesting too, and and not something that I don't think we should cover on the show. But that was a hostile takeover. He he bought all the shares. It wasn't a, an acquisition in the sense that I'm going to buy this company. I he bought more than half the shares, which means he owned makes a mistake. The majority yeah. of them, yeah. Um, but it was yeah. So there 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 is all of that. Um, so is he? Because he's got, like I said, he's got form when he's done when when he's done all of this. Because I mean, um, with Tesla and stuff, it wasn't his company to begin with. He he made it um, what it is and and has really driven it. So he's, I think, if we look at his p- past credentials, um, the way he's done it, we know he likes to get stuck into the engineering side of things. He doesn't sit around in the C-suite area. He goes and likes to do the engineering or what he considers to be the engineering. Um, and and get gets involved at the at the, at the nuts and bolts level, and I think he's just trying to do run that same model again, um, or a similar model at uh, a Twitter, um, and so he's tried to do some stuff to to make that make, to make that happen. Um, is it right? Is is just a pure software thing, the same as SpaceX and Tesla? Who is that? 
I mean, there's there's some sort of key differences here um, that uh, one SpaceX, Tesla, those are uh, those are hardware um, and software to some degree with you know the autopilot and the automated systems. But for a large part, you're looking at sort of physical things that don't rely as much on um, outside forces to make it work. I mean, you need people to buy Teslas and you need uh, government contracts to buy SpaceX shuttles to cart things up. But for something like a social media giant, you need some sort of ongoing source of revenue to keep it going. Additionally, the impact to individual people's lives is incredibly different between Tesla, SpaceX, and Twitter. Yeah. He wanted to buy Twitter to be this. Uh, um, uh, he he called it a t- like a like a town hall where everybody had a voice, um, and I think that's kind of his vision. And it, it's just that there's in in real life when people start spouting stupid shit i'll just say it that way <laughs> when people say stupid shit it's it's uh it's confronted um either you know the 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 police come and apprehend you or citizens fight back and uh, against that stupid shit that somebody's saying and so we, that's the whole content moderation piece and that's why taking away accounts that are saying stupid shit and and not enforcing that policy is is a really dumb idea um because you don't have it's not it's not a perfect analogy um and so this to me is just a totally different animal than anything else that he's done before um and you're right you have it in here he's a grifter and i'm not a fan of him um if it's not abundantly clear i think he's made some smart business moves but you know beyond that i can't say many nice things about him just to get that out of the way but beyond that, we're talking about the conversation with respect to what happens to um, a platform that a lot of people have access to freely that can influence society positively or negatively. Um, that's a lot of responsibility. And this is a whole other discussion about what impact social media has on society and what content moderation um, and algorithms can do to promote or demote um, content that is truthful, accurate, entertaining. And right now there's sort of the skew, at least on Facebook, for outrage and and uh, interaction, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of algorithms Twitter has going on, uh, but just the fact that uh, we're replatforming people that shouldn't have platforms is is a whole issue anyway speaking of other platforms uh there is sort of this whole discussion of well should people move um and barry i think i think you should probably state here i think we said it in the pre-show but do you have a twitter and do you use it because <laughs> i think that's some pretty key information here that we maybe didn't mention yes. um i do have twitter i've had multiple twitters um i've used it for work i've used it for my personal stuff i've used it for as a political platform um and yeah so yes i've I've been an avid twitter user over um over a number of years so what about you nick do you peruse the twitter sphere 
I do use it for gaining insights on what's going on in the world. I use it for following certain accounts that will give me updates and news, right? So I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I was following the election. And so there were certain accounts that I was like, oh, wait, Maricopa incoming. And um, to me, that is that is some of the better parts of it. Um, it's when I see things trending that it's just like, why does this need to like, why, why are we talking about this topic? Um, yeah. You know, and and. Uh, for me personally, I don't share any information on there. I use it as a communication piece for the podcast. I give them the keys to some others that use it more frequently than I do. Um, and so if you see stuff on there, it's more likely than not me saying things <laughs> on that platform. It's either automated services or somebody else. Um, so in terms of like outward communication, I don't use it as much. But but for passive information gathering, I do. Um, and And that's where some of the issues like we'll talk about the verification stuff a little bit later where that comes in uh, and, and just where it breaks down too. in terms of alternatives, you know, there's other, there's people who are wanting to jump ship to other platforms like truth, which is just dumb. And, uh, and, and Mastodon, um, which is just, you, you mentioned, I think two weeks ago in your one more thing, it's a UX nightmare um, trying to set that up. But then there's also discord, which, Hey, quick, free plug for our discord community we have one of those if you want to talk with a bunch of other like-minded um ux human factors professionals you can always join us over there um i don't know Bar like barry do you have any comments on this whole jumping ship to other platforms it feels like to me a bunch of people are just trying to find some suitable replacement but there's nothing quite like it and it's it's odd to not have that and I think that's that's the thing, isn't it? I think social media, um, if you've got an exact thing like Twitter or any other platform, if you've got an exact copy of it, then why does it exist? Because, you know, something that does that already exists. Um, you know, Facebook is a very different different beast. Um, it's used differently. And actually, it's very uh, generation specific as well. Um, so, you know, the young, you know, the young cool kids don't use Facebook unless they're talking to the parents or, or things like that anymore. Um, it's very generational. Um, you've also got things like Snapchat, you've got Instagram, which, you know, is, is almost the, the spin-off now of Facebook in a very different way. Um, Macedon, as, as we mentioned, I tried it a, a couple of weeks ago and I did try, I, I tried to get in there, but again, you have to, and it's a bit like Facebook in some respect, you create your own silos. And so, therefore, you create your own echo chambers. Um, you talked about True Social. Um, that was obviously the way that that was created is very particular. Nothing um, reaches out to a particular demographic. And and Discord, you know, we've got our Discord on there. There's a couple of other Discord servers that servers that I mess around with. Um, my kids play around Discord servers because obviously the initial idea was gaming, but actually the, we've we've got a bit broader than that now. Um, but again, you're creating your own um, your own echo chamber, your own community. So the thing, the unique thing that kind of Twitter does is throws everybody in there, um, and there's almost—I mean, yes, there's there's we know that there's things working in the background, and that's where some of the problems lie. But fundamentally, you—if any—if somebody's publishing on Twitter, you're publishing out to the world, um, and other people can go and find it and therefore comment on it and things like that, unless it's obviously locked down. So. It is kind of unique, and I don't think there is a um, a real alternative to it now. And if somebody was to create that alternative, it would still have the same problems. 
that Twitter has now, or at least it, right. So pre Musk, um, it would still have the same problems that existed pre Musk. Um, that 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 currently that that exists. So because nobody's created, nobody's been able to solve that the fake news problem really. Um, and and I think that maybe does does springboard us into verification. But there is a comment I'd like to make before we do. And that is this, like Facebook, like Macedon, like Truth Social, like Discord, they're all free platforms. They're all being pro uh, provided by somebody. Um, now, they've all got revenue streams, some more successful than others around ad generation and things like that. But for us as, as a face, as a just a normal user, um, they're free for us to use. Is it right that we are criticizing um, a free platform in such a way when yes. then they but what you know if, if we were paying into it if we were a paid up member say um and so this is maybe where you know take away the the verification piece um though i would wrap it in um if we were paying eight dollars a month just to use it i think we would be very well justified in saying it's you know it's not safe it's not right it's all that sort of stuff but because it's free um what rights do we have to to do that? Now, I know we have moral rights, but do we actually have any real rights? I don't know. Well, the, I mean, you, you think about the social impact that it's making, right? I, that's the moral impact. But that that is uh, what what sort of impact it has on society is our investment in it. Um, and and you, you might be a shareholder, you might not be, but that piece of what it can do to influence those around you and to stoke uh sort of extremism and hate speech and empower those who who do those that is yes i'm vested in that i don't want um you know my family to be at risk because some a-hole thinks it's okay to say white power at a, gra at a gas station as he walks towards our car no i and i don't to, to be fair i don't think that person was a was a uh, a twitter user but like still but the probably... <laughs> so th this is this then gets into a, a deeper argument around people of you know just because the platform exists it's not the platform doesn't generate this content we generate this content people i mean there, there is the argument around bots as well which we which we can go um which was again a premus problem but fundamentally a lot of this stuff and we know real people generate this right wing um so, and there's the other the other side of the horseshoe as well as the left wing stuff as well that there's this extremist stuff but that's generated by people um there was an interesting uh, uh analogous so there was some riots in in the uk um a few years ago um that was triggered um by uh by an event and a lot of the riots were coordinated by black by using blackberry phones because the blackberry uh chat um, function or BlackBerry IMs, so that you can tell how far back this goes. And the establishment, the politicians, the police were very quick to criticise the BlackBerry as being the thing that caused all of this this stuff. And it was like, well, hold on a second, that's just the medium. That's just the way that they've been able to pass the message. Um, it didn't magically do it. it that they, the content came from people, and so there is an element here of do you know. Um, is the platform to blame? Um, and the answer, I think it depends, um, but not exclusively. So, all right, well, let's, let's get into the UX side of things because I think that's where Yay. at least some of the, 
some of the more, I guess, impactful stuff to us. And, and I think a lot of the UX side of things comes from the, the verification piece, right? Yeah. I think there's a lot to, to dig into with this verification. I know we're running a little bit long on time, but I want to get into this because it is so mm. important. I mean, you talk about trust in a system. Um, if, uh, and not everybody knows what a blue check mark is, but those who do assume some level of officialness associated with it. And so when anybody can just buy that check mark, change their name and change their profile picture to be, um, you know, some other account, it looks then like they are a, a person of trust or a person, uh, that, that, a representative of that brand or person that you can trust and that um, that what they say is, is truthful. And because of this, it's, it's this huge issue about knowing who we're talking to um, or if who we're talking about, especially in the case of like these big companies that lost billions of dollars and yes, insulin should be free, but that's a, that's a different conversation. But um, this this also introduces issues of accountability. Like, who's responsible for this? Is it Twitter, the platform, or is it the person who bought the account uh, or, or the verification and changed their account and said it jokingly? You know, is it, it is parody not OK anymore? Because um, I, I know a certain Al that would be uh, upset about that. <laughs> um, and, and so there's all these different questions I have about uh the trust piece of it but really the the question here is what is the freedom of speech is is a concept that gets thrown around a lot there people should be able to be free to voice the things that they want to say that does not mean that there shouldn't be consequences for the things that you say um and if that means a banning on the platform then you know that's that's a consequence of your action uh, and, and so, especially when it comes to things like hate speech, I think that's, that absolutely needs, there needs to be some punishment, uh, for that. But what are your thoughts on the verification piece? So it's, it's, um, having applied for verification a bunch of years ago when I was more involved in, in politics, um, the process then was quite significant. Um, and as you could, if anybody looks on my Twitter, will see that there is no blue tick there. I, I didn't make the cut because the, this, the bar was quite high. You had to be a person of interest. You had to have, um, a whole, you know, you had to be able to reference newspapers you had, or you had to show that what your position, why that was a significant piece, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it wasn't just a case of, oh, look, I'm really cool. Therefore you can make that happen. They actually went to some significant, um, depths to do that now if you look on my facebook i am blue tick verified on on facebook um because i went with i was in facebook and they could turn around and say yes that is you um and they verified me there and then because i could prove that i was a person um so yeah i'm, I'm just twitter jealous um so that but that shows that they've gone th the, that they go through a significant amount of um process to prove that you are you and really all then all your stuff that then comes out is says that yes, anything you give doesn't necessarily say that what you say is truthful or accurate, but it's accountable to you. Um, 
now what you're doing, we're turning around and saying, right, I've got $8. I can throw $8 up this. Brilliant. Um, and I was tempted to go and try and sign up to it the other day just to see how easy it was just to go and get it. Um, and then realized I couldn't really lower my soul low enough. Um, uh, yeah, but the it is interesting that you will just take away that whole level of, um, I see a blue tick. Um, I can, I can, I can then do that. I mean, the bigger question really now is if, if the whole point of the blue tick bit, and if you buy the blue tick, they then should be able to verify who you are because you've basically provided bank details, um, to be able to make the payment. Now I'm sure there's way, ways around that, but fundamentally it boils down to should user accounts, um, should all user accounts be verified? Should they have to be in a format that um, you can easily identify who people are? So then that takes you to a next step of should we be allowing anonymity on social media platforms? Because if you turn around and said no anonymity, this would solve all of this problem because you would have they would have to have a verification for you to prove that you were you in order to sign up for, for, account, for an account, which all sounds great. Um, but then how many people use Twitter, Facebook, all any social media platform as a form of whistleblowing for when something goes wrong, which I think in most cases, whistleblowing is a positive thing for society. Is that just something that we we have to, um, that's just a, a consequence that has to suck up? Um, I don't know. Um, it's an, what value does an anonymity have? Because one person's whistleblower is another person's anarchist. Um so, but well, fundamentally, back to the verification piece, that process, I think, was really robust, maybe too robust, in fact. Um, and I think to lose that is 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 a significant problem for the whole trust you place in what you read. Yeah, I, I want to talk about the anonymity because it, it really does encourage harassment when when those who are anonymous, when, when you don't have your real identity attached to something, it encourages harassment. People are more likely to act up if they're not if they are anonymous. So basically using Twitter, um, if you do use your actual identity instead of making one up, um, then you would be less likely to or I, I'm not suggesting that anyone listening to this show, people would be less likely to harass others if uh, it comes back to that accountability piece. Right. And and that's where verification comes back in. If you have somebody, um, it proves that somebody is actually who they say they are and um, that they are then accountable for those words. And so if there was some level of uh, verification that we could put in that didn't require money, that people are who they say they are. And I think even Facebook requires like some pictures of your driver's license now to verify your identity or something to verify your account. So like there's that, right? Um, and I mean, it still happens over on Facebook, but I think I think really that's what we're talking about here is the the accountability and harassment and and um, being able to just say things without risk of consequences when yeah it's okay it's a burner account so you make another one like even I don't know without, it's interesting because even now with the studies that are proven I've I've run some of them myself that sort of show that people because you're not face to face with the person that you're insulting commenting on or whatever people are nastier on social media or people are more forthright is perhaps a better way of putting it um with their um opinions on on social media than than you are in face-to-face -face life you most people say stuff 
on on social media that they would never dream of saying to somebody's face um and i think the anonymity makes that a hundred times worse um so i th i do personally i think that everybody should be verified um but through a decent verification system not just paying eight, eight yes bucks. yeah and that's a good note to end on right i mean i think do you, do you have any other closing thoughts on on this whole debacle i mean we've we've talked um not as much about the human factors applications <laughs> of it that I, you know i was hoping for but really it does it does kind of get at the trust issues um when it comes to social media platforms in general and and really how these platforms even though they're privately held companies they have this massive impact on society and that things maybe shouldn't be I don't know. There needs to be some sort of oversight and regulation personally because of the impact that it could have on people. And that's my personal opinion. Uh, others might think that it's okay to just leave it be, but there needs to be some sort of way to get at a point where it's not all about outrage. It's not all about, um, it is about accountability and that people can't hurt other people on a virtual platform because nowadays, uh, our virtual selves are extensions of our physical selves. And that that's a really important piece that I think a lot of people miss. Yeah, I think for me, this is, it's the technical end of a cultural and behavioral issue that of globalization that we are still only coming to terms with. The mm -hmm. fact that we talk to so many people so quickly with actually little impact or consequence um, that we as a society still struggle to to handle it. I mean, the, the fundamental question for me here would be is if Elon switched off the big Twitter button tomorrow, um, what would be the impact of, to society then? Would we be poorer for it as a society? Would we, would we be able to um, work less? Would we, have le would, would we have less fruitful interactions? I think, I think the answer in this modern world would be yes. Um, I think we would be a poorer for a society, but I think we've still got a long way to go before tw Twitter or any social media platform is a, is a perfect haven. Yeah. Well said. All right. Thank you to our patrons this week for selecting our topic. And thank you to our friends over at UX Collective for our news story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post the links to all the original articles and our weekly roundups in our blog. You can also join us in our Discord. We plugged a couple times tonight where uh, for more discussion on these stories and much more. We're going to take a quick break and see what's going back uh, around in the Human Factors community right after this. Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you, and remember, it depends.
Yes, huge thank you as always to our patrons. We especially want to thank our honorary Human Factors cast staff, patron Michelle Tripp. Patrons like you truly keep the show running. Uh, Patrons also get access to some other fun stuff you might not be aware of that aren't mentioned in that little commercial there. Uh, They do get access to our full audio versions. So if you're a normal listener, you might not know this, but we do a pre-show and a post-show every Thursday, uh, you know, after um, on, on our streaming platforms, we do those. Our patron listeners get that in their podcast feeds um, with all the commentary that we make before and all the commentary that we make after. So uh, that's that's usually a lot of fun. Um, Barry and I have in those pre-shows and post-shows. Uh, if you want to get to know us a little bit more, uh, what's what's the professional term? Loosey goosey, um, casually. Casually, Let, let's go with casually. that. Casually, all right. Yeah, you you can you can come do a patron thing. Do that. Uh, we also have. Um, now we're having monthly Q&As just to be a little bit more uh, better about the cadence, I think. So you can do monthly Q&As with us. We have those in um, in posts. You can leave your questions with us. We'll answer them on the show. We'll answer them directly there on the platform for you. Uh, early access. So uh, we do post our show right away over there. For everyone else, you got to wait until Friday morning. For them, they get it Thursday afternoon right after we're done. And sometimes, occasionally, we'll have some bonus content over there which is uh you know like our like our uh hfes coverage we just put up the whole thing over there we like just in two big blocks like hey listen to everything live uh so that's um that's some great stuff that they're getting over there if if you are a fan of the show want to help support us um patreon continues to be uh a a just perpetual wellspring for us to keep the show running so we truly appreciate everyone's support with that, let's get into this next part of the show. It came from. It came from. Yes, that's right. This is the part of the show where we search all over the internet to bring you topics the community is talking about. It's It Came From. Uh, if you find any of these answers useful, wherever you're watching or listening, give us a like to help other people find it. All right. We got three really fun ones tonight, Barry. Mm-hmm. And uh, this first one here, there, there uh, I think. Okay, so the first one's from the user experience user experience research subreddit. This is by Rando Bando Peep, and they write <laughs> advice on becoming a UX researcher. Uh, hey everyone, right now I'm currently a project manager, but would love to become a UX researcher. My bachelor's is in psychology, uh, and I have four years experience in project management. I have connections through my current role to UX team, but any advice on how to get into the UX researcher role? from here would be greatly appreciated. Barry, how do you migrate from a product management role into a UX research role? That's a really good question. Um, I think in the grand scheme of things, the because they've already got links to their UX team, I would be going to talk to the UX team and oh, seeing if you can leverage, um, jump from your position now to maybe a similar role in and around the UX team. Um, maybe that would work for you. I think fundamentally, um, go and and chat with them, get some um, background, so maybe get some experience um, in some way, develop your own portfolio um, and do that sort of stuff. But many companies would see that as almost, would they see that as a step down or a step? It's not really a sideways step, um, depending on the the, the type of company, because some companies look at, project managers in the hierarchy as, as a higher uh, as a higher role um so 
Yeah, that, that's a that's a difficult, challenging one. I think, short of just saying going going to retrain. I mean, that's a, that's an obvious answer. Um, but to use what you've got, I mean, re, the, the, what you really want to try and do is use what you've got and make that of value to to a UX team. Um, yeah, Nick, I don't know. Have you, have you got any thoughts? The last thing you said is what I tell all my mentees. So take the transferable skills that you have now and try to get in on some sort of research task. Uh, if, if they're a good researcher, they'll, they'll bring you into the process and, and help you understand, I don't know, how they're thinking about things, how they understand what um, pieces of information they need and what information they have available to them. So take, take what skills you have that are transferable. So if, like interviews, right? If you've done a lot of interviews as a product manager, maybe you can start doing those interviews from a perspective of a user researcher. I don't know. Look at, look at some best practices online. Do your research uh, is, is a, a trite um, answer for this, but also one that does make a whole lot of sense for this type of transition. Um, find a mentor. All the regular answers that we give, but I think the biggest bang for your buck is going to be try to identify what skills you have that are transferable, especially with a background in psychology. I think there's probably a lot there that maybe you can mine for, um, you know, for those transferable skills. All right. Getting into this next one, Barry, this one's written by um, Affectionate Let 41. It's at 471 on the UX research subreddit. They write, this is this is my favorite one of uh of the night, Barry. You ready? If you could if you could make an app, what would it be? See, with this one, I thought about all the stuff I really just couldn't say. Um, and then all the stuff I shouldn't say. Um, but actually one of the things that I I think for me, because in many ways it's quite easy to um develop apps nowadays if you've you know, there's um, there's there's app generators and things like that, and you get some basic stuff going. So actually, I, I then sort of, so I go down the route. What would actually make my day to day life easier uh, if I was to truly go back to what is what is a user requirement? Um, and one of the things I'm struggling with at the moment, having children of different ages, we're trying to run um, kids going to various um, clubs and camps and. Um, classes and things like that. Uh, eldest is um, back and forth to university, um, doing their thing. We're trying to manage work as well. Just what I would like to have is an app that isn't just a straight calendar app, but some sort of distributed family diary manager. Um, so I could look and see easily what I've got to do, what the requirements are on my time. Do I need to take somebody for a lift somewhere, uh, pick them up, um, and be able to manage that sort of um journeys and times but also then um one of my kids can see if i'm nearby somewhere and i can then they can then organize a lift with me because i'm going to be close doing something else also so something where everybody has their own view on 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 the family um and can manage our times together accordingly would be great that's that's a great use of uh of a free app there you go for me, um, I I am also selfishly thinking about from my own perspective and what would be useful. And the thing I keep coming back to is there's a lot of <clears throat> there's a lot of logic builders, and there's a lot of like macro builders out there. And 
basically the the app that I want is some sort of technology that understands where to go for certain things and to be able to build a workflow that adapts and basically say, okay, to make a restream event, I need these pieces of information. I will know that I have these pieces of information when I put them into this document. And so then it's looking for a trigger, but I want that trigger to be smart or I want to be able to trigger it with a button and just get that information from one place and put it into another, because that is something that I do with the podcast. And we tried to optimize, optimize a lot of this stuff, but even beyond the podcast, there's a lot of useful things for this, right? Like let's say uh, for your job, right? You do a certain amount of processes every day and you can try to automate that workflow with um, tools like Zapier, where it'll plug in and understand what some of those triggers are, but not everything that you're looking for is always there. And so just some way to visually, not with code or not with anything else, tell a, a certain program, a certain website, you know, understanding the context. If it's not logged in, log me in. It, then, you know, go to this URL and put in this information in these fields. Mm -hmm. Just to me feels like a, a, a complete, and if that exists, somebody please tell me because uh, there's a lot of that that I do. And so tell me. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get into this next one here. This is uh, Thoughts on Generative AI uh, Replacing Creative Endeavors. This is by Muffin on the User Experience subreddit. There's no text here, but Barry, what are your thoughts on generative AI basically replacing UX designers, UX researchers, anyone that does some sort of creative uh, work, right? What, what, what do you think that impact is on on uh, those roles i don't think i like the idea of them replacing them but i do like the idea of them being there as a tool for them to use because sometimes one of the hardest bits you can do or some people get fixated that um prototypes or early uh wireframes have to be perfect and the whole point is that they're not that you almost scribble down something because they end up being springboards for other things um and that's a really valuable piece. So maybe the AI helps in generating um, more broader, um, you know, wireframes or initial ideas. Um, it can help do some of that. Um, or it can be used to maybe bring in some other influences because sometimes, um, particularly if you've got a smaller team, you can be you can become tunnel visioned into some things and maybe the use of an AI which would um, take, you know, broader inputs might throw you some places that you hadn't you you weren't considering because you'd locked into a mindset so things like that might be useful but you're right in the way that you worded the question what my fear is that they would turn around and say you've got an ai or a, you know almost towards an um an agi type um capability that they we can then turn around and say oh well we can get rid of the creatives now we don't we don't need them we just need you know it's just another programming task that we we turn a handle on and they'll come up with some with some interface um and that'll be fine because because ai produced it so tool yes replacement no no thank you that's exactly where i'm at i think it needs to be incorporated into the process as sort of a uh, here's, here's some ways that you can go. And I know that there's like, j just beyond human factors and UX right now, there's a lot of fear 
from um, creatives that these AI art generators will be taking them out of business. And if you see some of the results, maybe not yet. But I mean, some of them are really impressive and some of them maybe not yet. But those those um, using that type of tool can give you so much different type of inspiration because it's pulling from a variety of different sources. And so when you think about that in terms of UX or human factors, if you're like, okay, well, what is the solution to this thing? Right. Or um, you can put in some keywords that say like, I want to design a solution for X, Y, and Z. There needs to be buttons with this and that and that. Put in the requirements and see what comes back and use that as inspiration for the final design. Um, or if you're, you know, doing a research task, maybe use that as inspiration for the questions that kick back or whatever it is. Um, I think there's a, it can be definitely used more of a tool than for, um, for, for the replacement. But you're right. There's going to be that, that uh, uh, temptation from decision makers to get rid of those roles then when that exists. Yeah. All right. Well, since we ended on a happy note, Barry, what's your one more thing this week? So my one more thing is for the, actually the whole reason that we're doing this on pre-recording on a Wednesday rather than the, doing the Thursday live is I've got a two-day um, CIHF meeting coming up tomorrow or a bunch of meetings coming up tomorrow, which is going to take me away for two days. But this is really exciting because it's the first, apart from um, when, when we had conference, but it's the first council meeting that we've had in person. We've been doing them all on Zoom Um you know, through pandemic and now we've continued because there is value in them, people being able to attend them. But I'm really quite excited about getting the entire um, or most of the, the the council together and the executive together. And we've got the new, our new chief executive um, of the Institute. He'll, it's his first council meeting uh, as well. Um, I'm just really stoked. I think it's going to be brilliant two days. So I'm really excited. I'm excited for you. That'll be fun to get to know everybody in person and network and, uh, network, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, we, we, we're going out. There's going to be a couple of glasses of wine, I fancy. Good for you, and and yeah, that the podcast would have totally held you back from that. So I'm glad we're <laughs> recording on a Wednesday. <laughs> might, might have made us better. Who knows? <laughs> uh, my my one more thing this week is that I am getting back into uh well crafting. So I think I may have talked about this with you, but anyone who watches the show can see that I have like some fun things on my shelves behind me that I've made. And uh, a, a lot of times um, the source for inspiration is dry. And this is where, so I've actually got one of those AI art generators and put in like star Wars concept art and for like specific things. And it's, re it's returned some really cool results that has, have inspired me to make not quite yet, but has, have led me to prepare for some things. Um, like, I don't know. I have, I have something on my desk right here that I'm fiddling with that. I don't know. You can't really see it, but anyway, uh, that there's, that leads me to my reference book. So uh, over the sale weekend, there was a bunch of books on sale that I have gone and bought, uh, concept art books and they have some really beautiful illustrations in there. And I'm using them as a source of inspiration to make future crafts. I've even pulled out my little notebook and I've started once again making little sketches. Again, you can't see it, but um, I've started making little sketches about uh, ideas for creating these props and 
decor decorations uh, for my office. Um, and I'm very excited about that. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, and that's it for today, everyone. If you like the episode and enjoy some of the discussion about social media and maybe how we feel about our phones, I'll encourage you to go listen to episode 261, Are You Lost Without Your Phone? Comment wherever you're listening with what you think of the story this week. For more in-depth discussion, you can always visit us on our Discord community. Uh, visit our official website, sign up for our newsletter, stay up to date with all the latest Human Factors news. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, there's a couple things you can do. One, just keep listening. We love it when you listen. We see those numbers. Uh, you can always leave us a five-star review. We got a glowing review recently. If you want to go check that out, check us on our Discord. Uh, tell all your friends about us. If you, Oh, hey, you like Human Factors? I like Human Factors, too. You hear about this Human Factors podcast? Yeah, they're great. Uh, and if you have the financial means and are able to do so, um, for just the cost of one coffee a month, you can support us uh, in all of our endeavors um, on Patreon. And you get access to a whole other podcast when you do that, too. So always thanks to all of our socials can be found in the description of this episode. Mr. Barry Kirby, thank you for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about how you feel about Mr. Elon Musk? If you want to find my fascination with Elon, then you can go and um, hit me up on Twitter, which is quite topical, at uh, Baz underscore K. Or if you want to come and listen to some in-depth interviews with practitioners and people adjacent to the Human Factors community, come and find me on 1202 The Human Factors Podcast at 1202podcast.com. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me on our Discord and across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning into Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it, it depends. depends. Hey everybody! It is great to be back. Uh, this uh, we're recording. This, this is what is. Geez, what an intro! This is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pleased to see we, we don't have a higher quality pre-recorded than we do have a um, a live recording. I mean, uh, you know what? Hey, hey, editing Nick, keep this in. All right, uh, and then uh, we're we're gonna just start again. All right, here we go. Ready? Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.